All right, we promised that I could do this quickly. We'll see how that goes. Uh, This morning, we have a difficult morning ahead of us, possibly. The good news for us is that Jesus was no stranger to difficulty. His disciples were no strangers to difficulty. And his ministry constantly encountered difficulty. And we'll see that in our passage The better news for us is not just that they can sympathize, not just that Jesus is aware of this, but that Jesus lets us feel our own hunger in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of hard words, so that he can fill us on himself as the bread of life. And so as we prepare to continue celebrating the incarnation through the month leading up to Christmas, Remember that whatever dark words come in our passage or in our sermon, Jesus is the light of the world who breaks in through the darkness. He is the bread of life that fills us when we feel our hunger most acutely. Little Christians, as we move through our passage and sermon this morning, here's what I want you to look for. Jesus is going to talk about the Father drawing us, bringing us closer to Jesus. So I want you to think about these questions. What pulls you closer to loving and trusting Jesus more. And then more importantly, I want you to ask yourself what that kind of pulling feels like. This is the good news of Jesus held out to us by John, his apostle and evangelist. John chapter 6, verses 35 through 71. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true, is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take, it, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Join me as we pray. Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life. In your kindness, you have let us feel our hunger and our weakness. You are the one who strengthens us, both body and soul. And we ask this morning for more of your kindness. Would you continue to strengthen us with your gospel? Continue to strengthen us with your life made new in us by the Spirit. Do these things through the ministry of your word. Heal our hurting hearts. Give us rest from our exhaustion. We ask all of these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. That was a very long passage, admittedly. It was very long, and as you read through it, and as you listened to me read it, you should have noticed it was also very repetitive, over and over. I am the bread of life. I am the bread that comes down out of heaven. Anyone who eats my flesh lives forever. Anyone who doesn't, doesn't. And I don't know if you noticed through all the repetition that there were at least two scene changes. There are at least three different scenes played out over the course of this discussion And so the best way I can help you make sense of it is to remind you of the great movie, not The Godfather, the great movie, Forrest Gump. When Forrest meets Bubba, and Bubba explains to him all the things you can do with shrimp, and his love for shrimp, he tells him you can barbecue it, boil it, broil it, bake it, saute it, shrimp kebabs, you can have shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan-fried, deep-fried, stir-fried, Pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp burger, shrimp sandwich. And then at the end of it, he says, that's about it. But as you watch the scene unfold, he doesn't list them while they're sitting still. The scene changes so that you know that this was going on over a long period of time. They start out assembling their guns in their company, and he starts the list. And then the scene fades and they're shining their boots later in the day and he's still listing off types of shrimp. And then the scene fades again and the two of them are on their hands and knees on the floor of their barracks scrubbing the floor with toothbrushes. 
And so you get a picture that this wasn't just a long list, not just a comically long list. This list lasted for at least the day as they went about their business. That is actually the way, with a little less comic relief, that is the way that John tells this story to us. Jesus has this extended discussion of bread. I didn't even start at the beginning. You started last week this discussion of bread with Colin. And Jesus addresses the people's desire for the party trick of Jesus making bread. They turn his miracle into a way not to believe in him, but to get what they want and feed themselves for free. And so this long discussion of bread and real bread and manna and Moses and Jesus and the Father and being drawn and being repelled starts. But as John tells the story, he throws in little pieces to let you know this is happening over an extended period of time. So verse 35, where I started, picks up the initial discussion from verse 22. It's the next day following the feeding of the 5,000. And it's in Capernaum, but it's outdoors. They've discovered him after he's crossed the sea, and they've made the trip in their boats. And then thrown in, you see in verse 52, that a dispute arises, and Jesus continues to address these things, teaching in the synagogue. And then in verse 66, you get later that after he said these things, after he upset people with all of this discussion of bread, he's alone with the twelve, talking about the mass exodus from his other disciples, people who were following, people who did say they loved him, people who wanted to hear from him, but mainly those who wanted to see him do that bread trick again. They've been offended by the things he said, and some of them have started to leave. And so you get this picture that this discussion isn't just one time sitting down with Jesus. The way John tells the story, you get the repetition of it because he said it once, and then he had to come back and he had to say it again. And then it raises more arguments and more questions, so he has to come back and say it again. But he's not just telling them how to prepare shrimp. He is explaining what it means for him to be the bread of life what it means for them to find their full satisfaction and their strength in Him, and what it means for the Father to draw some, to pull some closer by His grace and by His choosing to believe in and rest in the Son, and for some to reject Him and to desert Him. And so this was not a one-off conversation. This is a conversation that's ongoing And people come and go. They add and subtract from the conversation. People argue and people agree. People are intrigued and people are repulsed. And so you get several themes. I'm going to collapse them together because John has given this back to us as one long sermon with these scene changes. Primarily, Jesus is talking about what it means for him to be the bread of life the only one in whom people can find life that does not end. Not like the manna that came down, not the physical bread that they ate and were nourished for a day, but real nourishment, real strength that feeds us body and soul, that promises us physical resurrection. He mentions that twice in the passage. I will raise him up on the last day. But in the meantime, I nourish your souls, and your souls will never perish, never taste death. 
And so you have the repetition through the passage. He says twice in verses 49 and 58, your fathers ate that bread and they died. And there's a cycle of grumbling and arguing and people being offended in verses 41, 52, and 61. People react and they react viscerally and he has to address it. And finally in verse 66, you actually get to see some of the desertion. And in the midst of all of that, all of the offense and all of the preaching, all of the good news held out and all of the good news believed and disbelieved, Jesus explains that the Father is drawing some to himself and he's granting life to some, but not to everyone who hears his words. And so in the midst of all of this, Jesus does not soften the truth for his people. He doesn't soften the truth for his disciples. And he doesn't soften the truth for those who haven't believed yet, but might believe tomorrow. He tells them continually about their spiritual nourishment. He has told us this morning in the words given by his spirit about our spiritual nourishment, that our lives are fed on Jesus. And that we are held together in his strength and all that he is in himself all that He has done for us in His life and His death and His resurrection and His continued ministry at the Father's right hand and all that He will do for us because our real hope is not any circumstantial preference. It's our resurrection when He raises us up on the last day. That is Jesus' sermon in a nutshell, told over and over to this sometimes fickle and sometimes faithful crowd told you I was going to be quick, so I'm going to be quick. I think that in the midst of all of this good news, Jesus instructs us at least in four things about himself and about his church, and these things are tremendously good news for us at all times, but especially now. Jesus tells them repeatedly, they have no life and no strength in themselves. Colin referenced it for you several weeks ago that this has been an odd season at New St. Peter's. I have been made to feel more acutely than I have in a long time, maybe ever, that I have no life and no strength in myself, but I have all the life and all the strength I need in Jesus. And it's been kind for him to let me feel that. It has been kind for him to at least, for me, let me feel my hunger and remind me that he is the one who feeds me He is the one who alone gives me life and strength, even the face of exhaustion. And so for those of you who are exhausted this morning, remember that Jesus promised to be your unfailing strength. He is unfailing strength to those drawn by the Father. And as he preaches that good news to us, he also tells us what happens in the church and what he wants his church to look like, and what he does with churches that look the way he has designed. You've got great pictures of it in this passage. What happens in the church? Well, you have grumbling, you have offense, you have struggle, you have doubt, you have people who are intrigued, and you have belief. And those are not meant to be separate groups of people. 
you have people in the passage who grumble but are struggling to figure out what he means. And you have people who are grumbling and struggling with how they might reject him. You have people offended. And all along the way, Jesus is gathering more disciples for himself. In the midst of the defection, he's gathering more believers by granting them faith. Because like he said, it's the Father who grants life. It's the Father who draws people to him. And knowing that, this is what the church should look like. If we can broaden it a little bit to think about this passage in the context of John's gospel, the church should have religious people who look like Nicodemus, who have been humbled and shown their need. And the church should have scandalous and broken people like the woman at the well, who are ashamed and find more comfort than humbling as they come in. And then as we see in this passage, given the whole story of chapter 6, having fed the 5,000, having ministered to them in his mercy, and then turned around and said hard things to them, we should have people in the church routinely and for long periods of time who have not believed yet. Because in the church we should find people both turned off and drawn to the gospel. But there should be people who live closely with the real gospel, who see the real gospel at work well and very imperfectly in his people. But they see the real gospel so that if they are turned off, they are at least turned off by the real gospel. And if they are drawn, they are drawn to a true gospel, not just a few things the church promises them as a door prize. And in churches that look like this, this is what Jesus does. Jesus does a lot of things simultaneously. He is not easily distracted. He does not have a one-tracked mind. His mind contains all of creation, all of his decree and providence, all of his gracious purposes. And And it does so all at once. So he simultaneously gathers believers and skeptics. He simultaneously gathers people who are both certain and curious. And with all of those people collectively, he simultaneously reveals and hides the truth. He makes hard statements constantly that, fr- that frustrate some of his most faithful disciples. Some of his most fervently believing disciples are constantly frustrated with the way he speaks to the crowds because he simultaneously reveals more about himself and hides something about himself. He constantly and simultaneously comforts people and confronts them. He always does both. And in the midst of all of this, he simultaneously and constantly draws people to himself and repels people. Jesus does all of these things kindly and graciously and because of his perfect purposes in his church and for the world. And in the passage, we get to see a glimpse of it. In the passage, we get to see a microcosm of what this drawing and repelling looks like, this comfort and confrontation. People who are made more certain, more assured like Peter, and people who question and struggle And we also get to see people who hate 
and are revulsed by the things that he says, repulsed by the things he says. And this story gives a perfect picture of what it feels like to be drawn to the Savior. I mean this without trying to over-spiritualize the story. To be drawn feels like hunger. These people are drawn because they are literally hungry, and he has the ability to give them bread. He doesn't chastise them for being hungry. He doesn't chastise them for being drawn. He chastises them for being drawn by the wrong hunger. He chastises them for expecting too little and hoping too little in bread that's made of flour instead of bread that's come down from heaven. God made man, God in the flesh, our Emmanuel, who has come to fill all of our hungers. So if you want to know what it's like to be drawn to Jesus, whether you have believed already, whether you struggle to believe, or you feel certain in your belief, to be drawn closer feels like hungering for more of Him. And the kindness of feeling that hunger is that feeding on Him is really satisfying. In light of all of these things, these are not just general statements about the church at large or any church, though these things are true of the church at large. These things are true for New St. Peter's. It has been a difficult season. Some of our words may be unpleasant to some of you in coming weeks. The lack of words from us over the last season has been unpleasant to a lot of you through the last season. Some of us will be drawn even farther into New St. Peter's and some of us will be turned off. Let me be very clear. I do not mean to equate New St. Peter's with Jesus. We are a church who lives under Jesus' grace. We are a church who lives by his gospel, nourished on it. We don't always get it right, but the gospel isn't something we have to get right. The gospel is something that makes us, who are all wrong, put right. This is my prayer for us as a church family going forward. Some of you will be drawn farther in, and some of you will be repelled, possibly. My prayer is for us to have greater cohesion as a church family, to love each other more deeply, to trust each other more faithfully, to live together even in the midst of frustration. But no matter what happens, whether you continue worshiping with us or not, my prayer for you, my confident prayer for you in the gospel is that no matter what happens inside this church, you will be drawn more to Jesus and drawn farther into his church, whether that's this church or not, that you will find all of your nourishment and strength and comfort, all of your hope in him and in him alone. I didn't plan to get to this point in John 6 when we had all of the things we have in front of us. Providentially, it was perfect and timely for Jesus to put this in front of us to let us see our strength drained, to let us feel how deep our hunger can be, and to hold out to us the good news that our souls have to be filled with Him and Him alone. He is the only true bread that comes down from heaven. 
the only giver of life, and only those drawn by the Father can find full rest in Him. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your kindness to us. You sent Jesus, Your eternal and beloved Son, to become man with us and for us, to be the bread who comes down from heaven to nourish us, to make us whole. We are broken people, and whether we find our wholeness, whether we find our care in this church or any other, if you have drawn us to Jesus, he will not cast us out, and he will raise us up on the last day. We ask that you would give us more faith and better hope in him and him alone. Nourish us with the bread that has come down from heaven. Quench our thirst with the living water of your spirit. We ask all of these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.